Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Tim Grady, and I am here with Lou Weiss, who is the host of the show. He helped found Manufacturing Talk Radio, and he also is the president of All Metal Forge Group. If you're looking for industrial forgings, open die, seamless rolled rings, check that out at steelforge.com. Joining us today is Terry Iverson, Iverson and Company. Terry is going to talk, and he put it very interesting in a pre-show conversation that we had. He's not going to talk about his company as much as his cause. And so, Terry, welcome to the show, and we look forward to this conversation. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you again. It's been three years. What's happened? Oh, wow. Uh, let's jump right in. Um, <laughs> a, lot, a lot has happened in three years uh, in the world and with our organization, too. I can, uh, I can jump in and, and rattle it off, or we can, uh, you tell me where you want to go. Jerry, give us a feel. You froze, Tim. The champion now. Um, I'm sorry, could you repeat that, Tim? Sure. Why don't we talk about Iverson and Company, because that's a company you took over from your father. And so it's a family-owned business. It's now in a new generation. And then we'll jump into your cause, champion them. That sounds great. That, that probably gives a better backdrop uh, to start with. So Iverson and Company is a machine tool distributor and rebuilder and service provider. Uh, this is our 92nd year. We just entered, finished our 91st and entered into our 92nd year. And it was my grandfather that started it back in 1931. My dad ran it from probably, he got involved in the late 50s and carried through probably the late 90s. Um, and then uh, I started in 1980 and then unofficially took, it, took over the realm of the helm at, in about 87, 88, and then officially took over in 99. And uh, so this is approximately my 42nd year and uh, unfortunately, my, my dad just passed in August, last August, and we just named a uh, educational scholarship for manufacturing uh, in his honor. Very neat, very neat. Actually, we may want to talk about that at some point uh, uh, down the road with you, so. Thank you. Thank you for that. So how did Champion Now come into existence? Okay, well, uh, basically, in about the mid 90s, I got I did a deep dive, so to speak, into technical education. And so I was involved in a lot of, uh, you know, technical colleges, community colleges, then high schools, talking about manufacturing. Obviously, my whole life and my, my family's life has been manufacturing. And I, there's two national boards I served on one was done in Florida, uh, for about nine or 10 years called Flate. Um, with uh, uh, Marilyn Barger and, and Richard. And then the other one was Brian Albrecht from Gateway Technical College invited me to serve on the CTE Education Foundation uh, in uh, Washington, D.C. So for about a year, I was, you know, every few months going back and forth from Washington. And I thought, you know what, it'd be a shame for me not to, you know, figure a way to promote manufacturing with something clever. And so champion uh, on, the, on the plane, on a napkin, literally, I started jotting initials down 
change, change how, change how manufacturing is perceived. And then all of a sudden champ, you know, came up as, you know, just insert the A, which could have been advanced or American. I, I chose American manufacturing. And then uh, in our nation. So change how American manuf manufacturing is perceived in our nation. And the now component of it is to change and do something about uh, the perception of manufacturing. And I might add that your book, Champion Now, is available on uh, Amazon. And, it's, uh, it's, it's actually called Finding America's Greatest Champion. And the, the term champion is a play on Champion Now, obviously, of course. And uh, you had me, you were gracious, both of you were gracious to have me on the show right after we published it. And I think it was my, my first podcast interview. Really? No, or, 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 or radio interview. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you were gracious enough to put in some of our discussion in the book, which we appreciate it. Thank you. No, I, I tried to highlight as many uh, champions of our of our cause and, and our our uh, message as I could, and you were definitely notably one of them. Thank you. So, Terry, what is the what are the goals of Champion now? Well. A lot has happened in the three years. Uh, I started the organization in 2012. And that initially, it just uh, consisted of me talking to high school students and, and technical and community college students. And that really wasn't adequate for me to really make a change or, or a difference, uh, make an impact in our country, in our, in our industry. And so from there, uh, I wrote the book in 2018 and was on your, on your show then. And so then I felt I had some credi credibility besides just my, my, my legacy at, the, at, at our, our company, our business. So then since then, um, I think I went on after your podcast and did, I think, 29 to 30 more podcast interviews. Uh, that was during COVID. And so then I posted those uh, as well as yours, of course, on our website. And then during, I started to do a, a manufacturing camp. And I my first one was down in uh, Florida. Uh, gosh, I want to think that was, I don't know if it was 2019, maybe, maybe 2018. Uh, it was just prior to the book being published. And then, uh, you know, I thought this is going to get expensive because, you know, all the cost was on me uh, to pr promote it and, and put it on. And then during COVID, I decided to pivot to a virtual and I started producing something called CNC Rocks Virtual Manufacturing Camp. So we have videos that we do on a subscription basis. It's about 20, currently about 22 videos that are about four and a half hours in length. And so they're for schools or for industry. And we'll expand that as time goes on. Then we also introduced, uh, we have a Roku channel where when people join Champion Now, industry members can join Champion Now for, for a subscription. And they can post on a Roku channel the videos about their company. And then we also introduced and branded two tabletop CNC machines, a lathe and a mill, for educational purposes that either industry can buy, uh, and it has what they call Mach, Mach 3 uh, software, which runs off of a laptop. And uh, they're branded with, you know, similar type of uh, red, white, and blue American uh, uh, you know, image imagery. Um, and then we started also with a company called Applicant Advantage, where 
young people who are members of Champion Now can, can actually go on and be a member of something called Applicant Advantage, where they can see resumes, uh, project work, and also a video elevator speech for each student. Neat stuff. Uh, okay, let's get this in. What's the website address, Jerry? The website is, is of course, www.championnow. So there's two ends, one on champion, one on now.org. And there's quite a bit of information uh, on all the above. I, I do want to take one, one moment to just highlight our board of directors, just to give you an idea the how lucky and how fortunate we are in the, the level of expertise we have on the board now. Uh, not that we didn't have a good board before, but a very active board, which is pretty much uh, since I've elevated the product offering. So we have Mike Reeder from Precision Plus. He was previously uh, uh, at one point, he's president of his company, but president of uh, the Precision Machine Products Association. Roy Sweatman down in Florida from SMT, he's president of that organization and former chairman of National TMA. Uh, Rodney Grover, who's, who was from the very beginning, he was a development director at uh, SME Education Foundation, uh, formerly. And, uh, and then of course myself, and then uh, Paul Wanish of Wanish Consulting, who started a uh, engineering academy down in Florida and then also started the uh, CTE Education Foundation. Quite a group. It is quite a group. I, I, had, to, I had to make sure that I kind of noted that because I really feel that the group we have is A, very, have very high expertise in manufacturing. They're all extremely passionate as am I, as am you at promoting our industry and our careers. Uh, and they're, they're, they're very uh, engaged, and uh, I feel very fortunate to have this group together. Terry, I, I know that you want this organization to help both parents and students understand what Lou and I have been harping about for going on nine years, uh, that manufacturing actually is a very cool place to be in a career path. Uh, in the U.S. or around the world, and that you know all of the things that go unappreciated literally come out of manufacturing. The chairs we're sitting on, uh, any backdrops behind us, the floors we walk on, the house we live in, everything comes out of manufacturing. It was made. It, it wasn't uh, created by some kind of a uh, holographic machine. It's a, it's a very cool industry. And if you're into new and exciting and cutting edge, that happens in manufacturing, you know, witness the rovers on Mars. Yeah, no, I mean, we're all preaching the, the same uh, message and, and we've been fortunate, uh, the three of us to live in a, uh, in a day and age where uh, technology is, is uh, abounds in manufacturing. Uh, computerization. I got into it in about 1980, and computerization was just starting to to show up in manufacturing at that point. So it is it is extremely exciting, and there's a, a lot of things to a uh, lot of offering. And there's uh, you know I tell all the young people that I speak to that you know when you have have one ticket to an event, you know a sporting event or whatever, and you have thousands of people looking for that one ticket, the cost and the value of that ticket goes up simple supply and demand. 
in, in our situation in this country, we, we don't have as many applicants and as many people in our industry, in our workforce as we'd like. And all of us are looking for the next employee, the next leader. And so our salaries are going up and, and what we can offer is, is going up. Uh, in addition to that, I would like to point out that many of us uh, pay for education for our new employees because many times they'll, they'll come and find out about manufacturing, but not necessarily be prepared from a skill standpoint. So many times myself and, and others in our industry will pay for either night school or you know, possibly a work, uh, uh, a work educational operation, you know, dual type of situation. And so there's, there's just a lot of things to uh, be excited about. Uh, one of the things that uh, Tim and I, <clears throat> now I've been in manufacturing over a half a century. Uh, going on the second half of the century. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that Tim and I come up with, and uh, apparently it was quite obvious, but maybe not so, and that was that during the last X number of decades, parents were very inclined to have their kids get a college degree. You'll always do great. You'll make a lot of money. You'll go work for big companies and so on and so forth. And of course, you'll have a couple of hundred thousand dollar college debt. So one of the things that we picked up on is that maybe the kids should be looking at manufacturing because one, you don't have debt. Two, you can make good money in manufacturing especially if you're an underwater welder at $150,000 a year. And uh, the thing that we felt we wanted to do and did do to a great extent was we have to educate the parents, not so much the kids about manufacturing. You got to educate the parents. And uh, I'm giving you the opening to talk about your new book you're working on uh, because uh, you got to educate the parents. So do you have anything to comment on that? <laughs> uh, well, I, I think, you know, I always have something to comment. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, what what I plan to do is when I wrote, wrote my first the, the initial book, I had to address all the different audiences, industry, education, parents and students. And so once I got that out and, and it you know, kind of hit the streets, so to speak, then I realized that you know, one of the most important segments that I need to address is the student and parents somehow either individually or collectively. So the concept on, on the book I'm working on now is to use some old content and, and additional new content and then divide a book into two sections. Uh, half of it would be to students and half of it would be to parents. And the concept is that we would have literally the book divided into two where they meet in the middle, the parents and the students meet in the middle, which is a interesting metaphor in itself. And the front would read for the students front to middle and then have a one cover. And on the back would be a different cover for the parents and they would be inverted, you know, 180 degrees. And so if I'm a student and I start reading my book, I would give it, I'd flip it over and give it to my mom or dad. If I was a parent reading the book, I'd flip it over and give it to my son or my daughter. 
And there's not a lot of opportunity for us in the industry to meet or to address the parents. That's, that's one of the biggest uh, problems we have. And if, if, you know, those of us that have been, that God has blessed us to be parents know that it's not always easy to address your ch child, right? <laughs> and so if we can have an avenue uh, like this, this second book that I'm, that I'm going to have a student parent edition that can convey conversation, meeting in the middle, metaphorically and, and figuratively and literally, then we can start conversation at an early age. Uh, I think those of us uh, that are parents, we, we tell our children in this country to go to college and, and figure it out, figure out what you want. And I contend that that's, that's too late. Uh, Europe, I think, does a better job in their culture than we do in that young people really understand what they're good at and what they're passionate about and what they enjoy at somewhere between 13 and 15 years old. So by the time, by the time they are, are getting their skill set or education, they're pretty much dialed in and, and directed and saving either sizable, sizable amount of money or sizable amount of time or both. And I think the student debt crisis in this country, it, it, it shouldn't be. And those of us in the ranks of manufacturing are here to tell you that, look, you can get the skills you need to make a good wage at literally a fraction of the cost of going to a four-year university uh, or a four-year college. And, and, and four-year university and college now is more five-year than it is four-year. And so those of you that are going to college and, and you've already decided and your directions cast and, and set, that's fine. I'm not here to talk you out of it. But go into debt and financially go on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that that's, uh, all, that that's the best thing for everybody. Let's put it that way. On two counts. One, that two hundred or $300,000 debt you're going to be paying for decades. So the salary you're going to be making as a college grad is going to wind up going to pay for the teachers who taught you, number one. Number two, uh, uh, several years ago, uh, I was invited to the uh, German embassy in New York that was running a special event where they had uh, German educators talking to uh, American educators about the dual educational system that they have in Germany where students have vocational training and liberal arts training at the same time. So two, three days a week you're in shop and two, three days you're uh, learning to speak English. Uh, and they, uh, that system has worked very well for them. And then at the end, you make your decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to be in manufacturing or do you want to be a um, educator, a lawyer, uh, you know, whatever? And I, I found it very interesting and uh, it's been working for them for decades. In this country, if we had an educational system Oh, we do have one. I'm sorry. If we had a different one or a better one, we might not have the problem that you're talking about. Yeah, I, Lou, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I, the way, I mean, there's many facets to that comment. 
One is the way we teach and the way we learn. Uh, I was an AP student in high school, so I, I understood and, and felt that I was bright enough to, to follow. I, my attention span was just too short. <laughs> and so I, I didn't learn the way I was being taught. Now, this is before computers, uh, as you can well imagine. But the way they were teaching and the way I learned were, were not, you know, didn't coincide. But the market has changed. And I, you know, I don't fault parents for thinking that to, they mean well. And, you know, getting a college degree, you know, when I was a young person, yes, that absolutely was, you know, the key to success or the path to success. But there's more than just that one path. And when you look at the numbers and all the research I've done, it's only about 13% of our children are having, getting the, going to college, getting all the way through, getting a degree and wait for it, using that degree in their profession. That's only about 13% of, our, of our, our youth. So the question is to parents is, are you in the 87% and you just don't know it? And so at least be aware and, and make a conscious decision for you uh, as a parent and your child, and you could have multiple children and there'd be different solutions for each one of them. I think that's a, an extremely important point about the 13% uh, because the parents who are paying the tab, uh, if they knew that there's only a, basically a one in 10 chance that this kid is going to earn income as a result of his college education, they might think twice about promoting. Well, I think parents, this is how I felt as a parent. I've worked hard and a lot of parents feel this way. So I'd like to make this, this point, is that I worked hard my whole career and saved money for my children. And, and they feel like, well, I've got to put that somewhere for them. And you know what? One of the things that people don't realize is that manufacturing has a very entrepreneurial element as well that we never talk about. You know, young people that start their own shops, young people that start their, their own products and companies. And so, you know, it's very possible that, you know, if you saved all this money for your child, if you're in that category, well, maybe you pay for the, the two-year degree, you know, vocational or otherwise, or skill set. But then you also put money aside for them to either, you know, put a down payment on a house or start their own company or, or kickstart a product or, or an idea. So just because you know, you're, you've saved all this money doesn't necessarily mean that it has to go to just one type of path to success. There's an interesting company, I don't know if you're familiar with them, it's called Virtual, uh, Virtual Entrepreneurial International. And they put together a training program that high schools buy the program. And in your senior year in high school, it's an elective program. You can, as a student, you can choose to take the VEI course, which teaches you how to create a company and make things or uh, resell things and become brokers and uh, open a, a business. And it's very successful. There are 1,500 schools in this country that now have this program, which is for one year. Uh, VEI, uh, very, uh, very smart group of people. Um, 
and they're making a fair amount of money with it from directly from the schools. And therefore the students get to do this for free. So uh, it's in your, in your uh, to your point, uh, here parents and schools are beginning to get the point that college may not be the only answer. Well, I think one of the one of the other numbers that I that I researched for my second uh, book when I was uh, working on it recently is the cost of college in, in 1977, 1980, when I was coming out of high school, uh, being X, that the college tuition, you know, has increased 1,400 percent since then. So, you know, there's no way that that we can fathom that salaries have increased 1,400 percent. You know, in terms of in terms of what you know, you know, you could earn in 1977 or 1980 compared to now, and if you look at the cost of homes and the and the cost of cars and etc., you know, you're you're somewhere in the 400 to maybe 800 percent uh, total increase in cost, whereas you know the cost of college education has almost doubled the highest of anything else. So. That being said, you know, I think we, you know, that alone isn't necessarily the reason to, to consider what we're talking about. When you go out into the market and you talk to companies, manufacturing companies and not, they are looking for skills. They're looking for skill sets. As soon as technology came on, uh, and, and, you know, I was fortunate to come in to when technology really started to come into our, into our industry and to everywhere. Uh, the internet hit hit around 95, 96. Computerization started in the late 70s, early 80s. So that being said, that ch has changed the market entirely. And so I think that coupled with the cost of the college education, unless you're in that 13%, then I say keep doing what you're doing. But if you're in the 87%, uh, consider manufacturing as a path. It's interesting. <laughs> interesting, Terry, because my own experience with college was and has been since. If you know what you're going to college for or to be, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a nurse, I want to be a scientist, then college makes sense. If, like me, you're going to college because your parents want you to have a college degree and you begin to bumble your way through college trying to find yourself and what it is you want to be you are wasting your life because you're going to you know you'll get out with a four-year degree if you skippy uh, there are something like 750 colleges across the country that offer a degree as a film critic yeah. <laughs> well that's okay uh, you know I, I could have graduated with underwater basket weaving <laughs> but it's just it's just not something that's going to fulfill my life or as a good career path. So college works for some, as you said, some percentage of the population, but by and large, not for all. And the graduation rates are like 40 percent. Yep. You know, I, I the one thing that I say and I said earlier, and I'll, I'll, I'll just reiterate and reinforce is that our young people really need, first of all, they don't even know manufacturing exists. That's first. It's not even on the checklist of options. 
second, if, if we at younger age can encourage young people to try internships in manufacturing, and, and even in manufacturing, there's, there's accounting in manufacturing, there's sales in manufacturing, there's all sorts of other facets of manufacturing within the manufacturing umbrella. If we can encourage young people to try an internship at a manufacturing company, uh, they have a, their apprenticeship model is coming back. Back in the 80s, you know, early 80s, apprenticeship models were closed down in this country. So my, my point is, it's okay if 10 young people try manufacturing and two or three or four decide it's not for them. But the fact is, of 10 young people in manufacturing, maybe one out of 10 even knows it exists. So if we can get multiples of people say, you know what, that's not for me, thanks for letting me know. Um, you know, the one thing, if we can get, you know, multiples to say, well, wait a minute, this might be for me, then we've accomplished something. But I think if you look at, you know, you mentioned doctors and lawyers. One of the statistics I looked at is the medical profession, the legal profession, if you look at, at what they have to hire and the applicants they get, they're getting over 100% of what they want. If you look at manufacturing and production and engineering, and other facets of careers, they're probably only getting between 25 to less than 50% of what they want. So when you start looking at degrees and, and you start looking at careers, you, you have to look at what is your competition and what is the salary range you can earn. And so when you get literally in line in the medical profession, not that it's a bad profession, or the legal profession, you, you have to differentiate yourself from literally a large group of people basically your competition. In manufacturing, if you're suited for it, and if you're passionate about it, and your skill set, and if you're good in math and science, you're going to have far fewer applicants. And now differentiating yourself amongst them becomes much, much easier. There's also a perception that a graduate doctor starts their career in a six-figure salary range. Across the country, if you look at the average, it's $60,000, and they're graduating with $300,000 in debt. But if you look at manufacturing, the starting wage is generally in the same range. So, you know, unless you really, really want to be a physician, uh, it might not be the best investment of your time. What? Uh it, it's more myth than reality. Right. One, one, yes. uh, one interview I did recently, Lou and Tim, for the second book was a young person who knew nothing about manufacturing. His high school had a really good manufacturing program. He didn't even know that. He wasn't aware of that. <laughs> and somehow by accident, he made his way into manufacturing and got married at a young age. And in nine years time from graduation, he had become the plant manager. You know, stories like that, you know, don't get out enough. And that's one of right. the stories I want to highlight in, in, in my new book is explain that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a valedictorian. It doesn't matter if you're you're a student that, you know, struggled. If you have the passion and the aptitude and, and the work ethic, you can be successful in manufacturing. Those people that that have been around and have the tribal knowledge for 40 years, like, you know, the three of us, 40 years plus, Lou, 50 years. We want to pass this tribal knowledge to the next generation, 
but you know, we got to have someone show up to, to be able to pass it on too. Right. Well, Terry, you make an interesting point. There's a, uh, a group of people like you and I, and probably Lou, who have a, a tendency to have a short attention span. And I'm sure if I were in uh, high school today, they would label me as either ADHD or ADD. Uh, you know, they would stamp something on my oh, I, just, I assumed you were. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, I, I still have the same attention span, but what you discover in those students, and particularly, by the way, students who are on the autism scale, and they have some degree of autism, is that they are incredibly bright individuals. And if they find something that they enjoy, they can be exceptional in manufacturing because they have that kind of focus on what they enjoy doing. I don't have much focus on things I don't enjoy doing. I don't know if anybody does. So I, I encourage you know, kids in junior high school, middle school, they call it now, or high school to look at their passions. What do they enjoy doing? And take a look at the STEM path in high school. Uh, it's, a, it's probably an exceptional path for them to undertake and, and let's face it, even if they wanted to go to college after that, they are still a STEM graduate. They're going to be much further down the road than somebody who graduates high school with what in college is called a liberal arts degree. It's just too general to go anywhere, Lou. Short story. When I was a teenager, I wanted to be an astronomer. I loved the star. I still do. I wanted to be an astronomer. And somewhere along the line, somebody's told me astronomers don't make any money. That was the end of that. Meanwhile, <laughs> astronomers make a tremendous amount of money today. So it's interesting that you bring that up, Luke, because when I was in college, I sat down with a uh, guidance counselor. And I asked the guidance counselor, well, I've got these courses because I was bumbling my way through college. And, and that's terrifically difficult as a student not knowing what you want. You know, what can I be? Can I go into this field? No, that field's full. Can I go into this field? No, you'll never find a job in that field. I encourage students to follow their heart. Don't get uh, pushed out of your lane by a guidance counselor because <laughs> if you are passionate about something you'll make it and if you're passionate about research development science <clears throat> uh, working with your hands making something tangible manufacturing is a great place to be because that's where that happens what one point i'd like to point out is you know the the guidance counselor industry has a lot of great people in it. Unfortunately, they have way more people than they can handle. Um, guidance counselor has parlayed into uh, behavioral circumstances or responsibilities. And so I, I think a lot of the guidance counselor profession is, is my point. However, I never really spent much time with my guidance counselor and I, and I wish I would have or could have. I don't think I really had that much of an opportunity. But you know what? These, all these young people, they have the internet. They have YouTube. 
there's nothing you can't learn about our profession, about manufacturing, about careers, about salaries. You have everything you need. You just have to look it up. You have to Google search it and listen and watch. And you have the ability, yes, if you can get to your guidance counselor uh, and take that information and discuss that with them, then, then so be it. But if for whatever reason, you don't have as the access you would like, you have the ability of, on your own too to figure it out. This is true. This is true. Oh, the, the knowledge of mankind is just a click away. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Well, Terry, we appreciate you joining us on this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We could talk about this for hours on end because we all love manufacturing. We, we love what we see it can do for people's lives. You know, the United States was built on manufacturing. That was always a good, solid career path. You, you know, from 1900 through probably about 1970, your father had a job in manufacturing, your grandfather had a job in manufacturing. You were almost guaranteed a job in manufacturing. They're great career paths. So we appreciate you joining us. We're looking forward to your second book when it hits the stands. Love to have you back on the show. Let's talk about it and highlight it and we'll help push it out in any way we can. Thanks for being with us. Well, it's, it's awesome to, be, to talk to you guys and you guys have been big supporters and I can't thank you enough for the opportunity for us to spread the word together. You're quite welcome and thanks for being on the show again, Terry. Thanks, Lynn. And good luck and good luck with the flip-flop book. That's like a Seinfeld, the coffee table, the coffee table book that was a coffee table. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I I used to watch Seinfeld quite a bit, yes. I still do every night. Because <laughs> life is a Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can find all of our podcasts at jacketmediaco.com. And you can find Terry's information at championnow.org. Check it out. Go there while you're surfing the web. And thanks for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.